Simmery. Good morning, Life of Church. I'm glad that you're with us this morning. Uh, um, you have a Bible view. We're going to be in, be in James chapter 4, four so either in your Bible or on your Bible app. I think if you, if you could get that in front of your face, it will serve you well if you're able to, to follow along with me. We walk through, through God's Word together. There. Um, James 4, verses 15 through, through 17. That's the passage that we're going to be in this morning. The Bible tells us that Jesus Christ is his name. Yes, yesterday and today and forever. He has always existed. He will always exist. Jesus in his divine nature is unchanging and unending and unwavering and created. Jesus simply is. And he simply, simply always has been. You and I are different. We did, did not exist. And then, then in a moment, in a blink of an eye, we were created. But having been now created, we are here to stay. stay. That we, we did, did not exist in eternity past as Jesus did. We will, we will exist into eternity future. We will exist forever. Ever. Now that we are here, we are here to stay. For some, that will mean eternity in, in torment. The ball is that hell. Others, that will mean eternity paradise. The Bible calls that heaven, or after the return of Christ, the new heavens and the new earth. But my point is, is that from this point forward, you and I, we will exist forever. Like Jesus, in this universe today. However, we are here to stay in his terms, either as his friends or as his enemies, which it will be is something that shall be pre-proven in this, this life. And the book of James, James teaches us this morning, this life is a mist, a vapor, like, like steam floating, floating off the sidewalk on a, on a hot and humid day like smoke in the air. This life is here, is here for a moment, and then it's gone. Two, two seconds, and then it's over to hell or to heaven. This is what the psalmist says. Aaron read these words to us just a moment ago. Go. As for man, for man his days are like grass. He, he flourishes like a flower, flower of the feet, for the wind is over it, and it is gone, and it knows it no more. more. Our, our lives are like, like grass in the field that can flourish at one moment and then, and then perish the next. We are like, you know, the blade, blades of a dandelion float through the air. Our life, so fleeting. Which means how we live in this life, life matters, matters so much. Choices in these, these days that we have, as few as they are, they matter for eternity. I must pray that it would live as God, God calls you. I pray today, today that the Lord would use our time in his, his word to help us, us to live as he calls to. Now the book of James, James talking about 
how we use our tongues, right? Our, our speech. James has been telling us that what we say matters. He says, your tongue has the power to guide and direct your life, either to flourishing or ruin. In the first part of chapter four, James contrasts godly speech with ungodly or worldly speech. Now in the last part of, of chapter four, he, he contrasts arrogant, arrogant speech with humble speech. Let, let's read what James has to say. This is God's, God's words this morning. James, James 4, verses 13, 15. Come now, you who say, Today, tomorrow, we will go into such and such a, a town and spend a year there, there and trade and make a, make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your, your life? For you are mist that appears for a little time and then van and vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or, or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. evil. So whoever is the right thing to do and, fail, and fails to do it, for him, it is sin. Church, this is God's word for us this morning. Let's pray, let's pray together. God, God, we ask that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Reflecting hearts that are beating soft in our chests, ready, ready to receive word and to be changed by it. We pray that in Jesus' name, name. Amen. So, so according to James, the arrogant speaker makes two errors. First, he maintains a wrong view of the future. And the second, he maintains a wrong view of himself. Wrong view of the future. Wrong view of himself. Let me show you that in passage. Verse 13 illustrates the speech, and in, the, in that speech, attitude of the, the arrogant man. Read that again with me. me. James writes, come now, now you say, and so again, you who say, he's, talk, he's talking about the walk. Now you say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such, such and such a town and spend a year there and, tra- and trade and make a profit. And so it sounds to me like the, the arrogant homeboy boy that James is guessing here, here is playing a business, business trip. trip. He, intends to, well, he intends to spend some time in such and such a town. What town? What town? It didn't matter. He intends to do work. What that work is doesn't really, really matter. He intends to make a profit. What's the big deal with these plans that he's making? Well, let's start recognizing that James... That James is not, is not criticizing planning, planning, and he's not criticizing profit-making. Right? The Bible has no issue with either of those things. The Bible has no issue with Google Calendar. The Bible has no issue with your, with your day plan. The Bible has, Bible has no issue with your bullet j- journal. Nor does the, does the Bible have an issue with you or any else making money or demonstrating an, an entrepreneurial spirit. In fact, we line up a half dozen proverbs that condemn and criticize the lazy, slothful man who makes no, no plan and who does not, not endeavor to work for a living. So the problem here is not, not this man, man plans do or the fact that he's made, made plan in the first place. The problem here is, is the arrogant attitude that lies beneath his planning. 
and scheming. That, that error attitude begins with a wrong view of the future. We see that in verse 14, James writes, Yet you do not know tomorrow will bring. Right, the problem for our entrepreneurial friend here is that he arrogantly assumes that, that he knows what tomorrow is going to look like. He arrogantly assumes that he is able to con- control what tomorrow will look, look like. Now, is that arrogant, really? I mean, I mean, I don't know you, but I have plans for tomorrow. Tomorrow is a ho- holiday. I'm, I'm not working. I'm working. I for sake that you're not, you're not working either. My day without, without work on my holiday, I have planned to sleep in a little, in a little. Right, I've planned to have like a, a nice leisurely breakfast wife and my children. I've planned, planned to get a little bit of yard, yard work done before it's too hot. I've planned to spend some extra time with kids on, on my off. Maybe we're, maybe we're going to play a board game together, together, do something outside together, together. I've planned for my, my children to be like polite and kind to one, and one another the entire time we're, we're doing those things. I've, I've planned everyone to get, to get along with everyone else and for no one to talk back to me. me right? I've planned during the day to get outside and to grill some meat we can enjoy together as a, as a family. Planned for us to spend the evening out on the back deck, maybe it'll be a little cornhole yard. And then at the end of the day, I've planned to celebrate that time-honored tradition in our country of celebrating the birth of our country by blowing up a small portion portion of it. Right, those plans for tomorrow. And you may have plans for tomorrow too. But do we actually know what tomorrow is going to look like? Can I say with certainty what tomorrow will bring? Well, no, absolutely not. And neither can you. The truth is that every one of us at any moment, any moment in time is just, just one cell phone buzzing in your pocket moment away from having, having our lives to completely upside down. And I don't say that to like, to like monger fear. I just, just say that because it's reality. Phone buzzes. Your doc- doctor calls. It's cancer. Your phone buzzes. Your, your wife calls. There's been an accident. Your phone buzzes. Your boss calls. I need to see you first thing in the morning. Phone buzzes. Your child child calls. Dad, Dad, there's something that I really need to talk to you about. There are a million ways that our lives could be turned upside down in a moment. And there is absolutely nothing that we can do to predict that, that or to control that. Because we neither know nor control what tomorrow will bring. Yet, James says, arrogantly, we talk like we, we do. We plan like, like we do. We believe that we do. We make plans for tomorrow as, as if we are the masters of our own destiny and the captains of our own soul when we're not. But our arrogant attitude to stop there, James says, it starts with this wrong, this wrong view of this year, but it actually leads into a wrong view of life, of life itself. Read to verse 14. James says, it is your life, life, for you are, you are a myth that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Every minute, minute 
every day can contain six seconds. Every hour of, of every day contains 60, 60 minutes. Every day contains 24 hours. So there are 86,400 seconds in every single day. Do the math. That means there, means there are about 30 million seconds in every year. Quantify a time like that. It really makes us believe, believe that our lives on this planet are, are long, like the days before us. They can be spent, spent casually and, and comfortably. James's point is, is the opposite. He says, compared to eternity, our lives are like a small puff of smoke that appears and then vanishes almost immediately. This morning, before I came, came here, I took a shower. Oh. <laughs> But I forgot, when I took that shower, I forgot, I forgot to turn the exhaust fan over the shower. And so when I stepped out of the shower, my bath mirror was foggy. You know what I did? I turned the exhaust fan on. And about 30 seconds later, all of that fog had disappeared completely. Like it had never been there in the first place. Jails are alive. Lives are like that, like that fog. Or perhaps you remember when you were a child how, how fast it was to walk outside a cold day, day and to exhale see that your breath appeared in the air like smoke. You could believe for a second that you were like, you were like a dragon because every molecule of carbon dioxide exhaled out of, out of your mouth into that cold air immediately condensed, condensed to moments. And then it disappeared. James says that our lives are like that. That's what all of our, our million of seconds add up to. Mist, fog, vapor. Here for a moment and on. Usually without a trace. Think, think about that for a minute. Right? We love the idea that we, we build and accomplish things with our lives. We love the idea that doing something with our lives is going to last beyond us. But the truth, the truth is that the future will not be kind to most of our legacies. I'll show you what I mean. And, mean, and there's a little bit of risk here, here because I, I don't know the answer to this question in reality. I have a strong suspicion. Right? And so we're going to do a quick show of hands. When I say that, I mean I really want you to put your hand in the air if you know one thing. I want you to put your hand in the air, in the air if you know, know the first name of, of your paternal great-grandfather. Put your hand in the air. So I'm talking about your dad's dad's dad. Do you know his first name? I see like seven hands in the air, which confirm my suspicion. Thanks. You can put your hand your hands down. Think about that. About that. We're talking about somebody who's who's bed courses through our, our veins. We're talking about somebody whose DNA is printed into our DNA, and we're talking about somebody who was living not that long ago, ago who's ended pro- probably just a few short years ago. Yet we know their names of us. Like a mist. Our lives are like vapor. They're just, they're just fleeting. The arrogant man he talks like he can he control tomorrow, and he talks like his life is one of great consequence, of much gravity, of substantial weight. James says, Come now, you who speak this way. That's Greek for, for child, please, what folly, who are you f- fooling? You do not know the future. You do not shape or control the future. Your life is not weighty or significant, ra- rather, 
It's like a poofy cloud that appears for a moment and then is gone. To think otherwise. To plan otherwise. To speak otherwise. Now, now before we go, consider the rest of this short, short passage. Before we consider the way that we should speak, I just want to talk for a minute about how we can cultivate humility in our, in our lives. James here clearly calling, calling out arrogant talking and arrogant planning. But, but that is the question. How do we, we grow in humility? And I, I think most of sense, sense that it's a fairly slippery slope to try to grow in humility, isn't it? I, I mean, imagine a life group. group. Life groups are the, the primary ways that we invite people to grow together here at Life Church. And so imagine, you know, you know seeing the living room where, you know, people are sitting there with their, their Bible, but in the group leader asks a question like, I wonder if you would just share with the, with the group ways that the Lord really been stretching you and growing you. And so a sister over, over here, she talks about the way, the way that the Lord has really helped her learn to apply the truths of the gospel to the anxieties that she feels she feel heart. And the group can just kind of, kind of separate the way that she's been growing, growing. And a brother over there over here talks ways that he's been able to like learn to use the promises of God to like to like uproot his anger in, in his life. And the group is group is able to separate the way that, that the Lord is being that brother. But imagine a third person who speaks out. He's like, yeah, yeah, you know, I'm really just so grateful. The Lord is making me really, really, really humble, humble. And there's, and there's this awkward silence for a minute, and, and the dude thinks that maybe people just haven't understood him, and so he tries to elaborate, and he's like, yeah, I've been, I've been, I've been growing in market humility in my mouth. And obviously, that's a profoundly arrogant thing to say. Hey, that's the way pursuing humility and growing in humility works. Second, we set our, our eyes on that, and we feel that we're making any measure, measure of trust toward humility is the second that we undo that pro- progress. Which is, which is why the Bible teaches that the way, the way to pursue humility is not to think about pursuing humility. Right? The way, way to pursue humility is not to try to be more humble. Rather, the Bible teaches that the way to fight, fight arrogant, cultivate humility is not by focusing on ourselves, but it's by focusing on, on the Lord, His glory. You see, according to the Bible, the Bible humility only comes when we see, see ourselves correctly in light of seeing who the, who the Lord is correctly. And it's only when we, when we glimpse the Lord's greatness and His glory, then and only then can we understand who we really are. And that will be profoundly healing to us. I mean, think about the, the arrogant man that James has been describing here. This arrogant man thinks he knows the future. He thinks his life is of great and lasting consequence. But neither of those beliefs are, beliefs are actually true. Yet, brothers and sisters, do you know who actually controls the future? Do you know who actually knows what tomorrow will bring and can control every minute of what, of what tomorrow will bring also? Right? Jesus says that there is not a bird that falls from the sky apart from his Father's de- deliberate, loving, caring knowledge. Right, our sovereign God, God oversees the splitting of every single atom. He sees the flapping of every single butterfly. When a black collapses into itself, it is because God has ordained it. When an infant cries in its cradle, it is because God has ordained it. The one who flung the mountains and the seas into existence holds those mountains and seas together by the word of his power, and he sovereignly oversees all things good and for his grace. We do not know, not know what tomorrow brings. He does. 
and, and he will use tomorrow to bring, bring about his good and glorious purpose. This is what God said about this very thing through the prophet Isaiah. He said, remember, remember this, stand firm, recall it, and you transgressors. Remember the former things of old, for I am God, is no other. I am God, and there is none like me. Declaring the end from, from the beginning, and from, from ancient times, things not, not yet done. Saying, oh, hear these words. My, my soul shall stand, and I will accomplish all my best. Friends, there is only one soul being in the entire universe who can say with Sinti about, about tomorrow, my counsel shall stand, stand, and I will accomplish my purpose. You and me, we say things like, really like to get away to the beach, the beach next weekend. I really hope that gas doesn't, doesn't cost $6 a gallon when I'm going, going there. Right? God says, I declare the end from the beginning. I am God, I am God and there is no other. other. I am God and there, there is none like, like him. If you want to cultivate humility in your life, set your eyes on him. Set your eyes on him. him. And then James tells us, recognize that your plans will only come to fruition if he wills it. Humble speech, humble, humble planning, right? They recognize that very reality. That's what James, James goes on to say in our passage. Read with me verses 15 and 16. He said, instead you ought to say. So again, I just want you to get the contrast, Right? Verse 13, come now you who say, and describes arrogant speech. Now he describes humble speech. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Now James is not intended for this to be like a magic incantation that we should say every time that we plan plans, right? If somebody asks you, where are we going to have lunch together? You don't say every single time, well, Lord willing, we're going to go to Go Burrito, right? Like you don't have to use those words, words, they're magic words that like make you humble, simple, simply by using them. But, but James wants us to plan humbly and to speak about, about our plans humbly. What does that look like? I can see Three, th- three things in this passage. First, first planning will recognize our dependence upon the Lord. Right? It will recognize that we aren't, we aren't going anywhere unless God gets us there. Right? Humble planning will, will recognize the very air we breathe is, is air God has put into our, our lungs and that God has the, the power and right and the authority to stop putting that air in our lungs at any, any moment that he choose, choose to. And soul planning rec- recognizes a desperate dependence upward to accomplish anything. To put that another way, arrogant planning, planning boasts in, in, assumes outcomes rely upon strengths 
Right? Arrogant planning boasts in and assumes you just plan right, you just get the right people on board with your plans, the outcome will be, will be secure. But humble planning acknowledges that he uses our weaknesses far more than, than he uses our strengths. And humble planning acknowledges to have the best plan possible, and if the Lord's not in it, it's guaranteed to fail. And you can have the, the worst plan possible, and, and if the Lord's in it, somehow miraculously make it succeed. Right? This is what the psalmist says in Psalm 127. It says, Unless the Lord build the house, those who build it labor in vain. And the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. That means that any, any labor is not dependent on the Lord. It's vanity. And only labor that depends on the Lord will be successful. Humble planning recognizes our dependence on the Lord. Second, humble, humble planning will acknowledge our frailty. When James says, says life is a mist, that's, that's really not, not a compliment. Right? If you're looking this morning for, for James to stroke your, your ego a bit or to like build you up somehow, right? your life is a mist. That mist that's not a compliment to you. That communicates to you and to me that we are, we are frail people. Again, 103 said, like dust. But at the same time, that reality that we are afraid, it's a reality that at the same time should liberate us and challenge us. It should liberate us because if you know that you're missed, then you're free from the pressure of like trying, like trying to make something with your life. But if you recognize that your life is frail and fleeting, if you recognize that you're just a, a poof of smoke and, and that you're gone tomorrow, you don't have to, you don't have to pretend that you're, that you're awesome anymore. Right? You, don't, you don't have to pretend that you've figured life out. You don't have to pretend that you've got it together. You don't have to, have to pretend that you've managed to, to pull yourself up by your bootstraps and make something of yourself. Your social media feed and our therapeutic self-help into culture, and they're trying to convince all of us that our lives should be epic, right? The world is trying to persuade us that we, that we can and that we sh- should have all right now. The world is just trying to persuade us that we, we should be living our best lives now, right now. James says, no, your life is, life is a mist. And no matter what you do with your days, it will still be, be a, a mist. Did you hear that? No matter what you do with your, with your days, your life will still be a mist. Here for a moment, and then gone. And brothers, sisters, that should liberate us from the, from the pressure that we feel make something of ourselves. Because no matter what we make, we're just... But that should also challenge us. Because if your life is a mess, you can't waste it. But if your life is a mist, you can't waste the precious little little time that you do have. You have. You can't spend your days frivolously, for your, day, your days are few. Pa- parents, I pr- think about this especially. We're surrounded by our children. This fam- family worship and I know. That in the daily, daily grind of diapers or carpooling or homework or soccer practices, the time we have with our children can feel 
eternal. But the truth is that the days are long and the years are short. And these days, days our kids trust us, us and listen, listen to us. These days, days when our kids are willing to allow us to sh- shape their minds and their hearts. These days are a mist. We can't, we can't wait. We can't assume, assume that we'll always, always have more time. Life is a mist here for a moment and then gone. We will not waste it. Instead, we must leverage these few days that we have for the glory of Christ. We must give us the things that will matter after the mist of our days finished. And we know that only what is done for Christ and for his kingdom will truly matter in eternity. And so, and so as we recognize just how short and how fleeting and how, how inconsequential our, our days in this life truly are, are we must be given to live for what will really matter in eternity. So James is teaching here, it liberates us, but it also challenges us to give ourselves to something bigger than ourselves, to live for something that will matter eternity. To not waste a moment of the brief life, life that we are here on this earth. The third thing James teaches us about humble planning, he says that humble will involve relentless pursuing the revealed will of God. Now I see this in verse 17. James says, who knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. And what James means to say is that the reality of God's will, it should shape not just the way we plan, but the substance of those plans. Our plans need to reflect not just the existence of God, but also the content of God's will. Humble plan, James says, will involve relentlessly pursuing the real will of God, the will of God that's revealed to us clearly in Scripture. And so the arrogant man, his hands, they're driven, driven by matters most, most to him and matters most to God. But the humble man knows that what, what matters most to God should matter most to him. It's, and so he needs to do what God has willed. He plans to submit himself to God's regard. I wonder this morning if there are, are areas of, of your life that you have not planned to submit humbly to the revealed will of God. Perhaps, maybe since the pandemic, you've just become less committed to gathering with God to worship Him. Once, that was something you planned on. But now it is something that you do when it's convenient. When you like it. Maybe when you have a hand to do something else. Or maybe you've planned to travel to weekends for vacations or for ball or for, or for some other purpose. I just say to you, say to you, friends, humbly, you need to plan to do, to do God's will. You need to, to plan to submit yourself to the revealed will of God. God in Scripture he commands us to gather regularly, frequently even, with his people to worship him. We must plan to do will. Perhaps you've become, become less and less committed to, to seeing God's word on your own. 
You should study the Bible. You know that you should read the Bible regularly, but quite simply, you just don't plan to do it. You don't order your schedule and life around spending time in God's Word. Humbly, you need to plan to do God's will. You need to plan to submit yourself to the revealed will of God in Scripture. It commands us to delight in His Word and to know Him His Word. We can't do that if we aren't studying his word for, for ourselves. Perhaps you've planned such a full, busy life for yourself and for your family that you just don't have any margin left to love your neighbor well or to love your church family well, right? Perhaps plans that you've made leave you simply so busy that you can't imagine opening your home to your neighbors or to your coworkers, the people that God has put in life for a reason. Perhaps the plans that you have made just leave you so busy that you can't imagine doing something like serving your church family by serving and life kids, ministering to the many, many children that come to our doors. Perhaps you're so busy that you've used all, all of your time, all of your, of your margin, all of your energy for yourself and on yourself. When, when God calls you in his word to, to live others and to serve others, humbly, you need to plan to do God's will. You need to, to plan to su- submit yours to the revealed will of God. And perhaps you've planned to use all, all resources on yourself and on the lifestyle you desire to have for yourself. You know, you know that God commands his people to live generously, to give gener- generously. You know that God commands his people to live sacrificially and to give, give sacrificially. So many of us, we, we just don't do that because we don't plan to do it. Or rather, we plan, plan to use everything that we have, we have on ourselves and for ourselves. Humbly, you need to plan to do God's will. You need to plan to submit yourself to the revealed will of God. And sure. James says, whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him is sin. God has yielded to us his word. We should direct our lives. We should live our lives. How we plan for our lives. We must humble ourselves and plan to submit to him. Now, a few, now, a few weeks ago, I was sitting with a pastor for a friend, and he knew that like, we were working through the book of James this summer, summer here at church, and so he asked me, he said, yeah, how's James been going? What, what's been the hardest part? about from the book of James to your book? It's the question that he asked. And I thought his question for a minute. For a minute. And then I said, you know, I really never realized until we were in this book week in, week out, until, until I'm hearing how people are responding to this book week in, week out. I was studying, studying this book week in and week out. I just never realized how crushing the book of James would be at the cross. I said that to my friend because James is this, it's like, it's like this mirror that shows you just how ugly and how dark your heart, heart really is. And today, even this morning, even in this short, simple passage, 
There is not one of us who humbly submits all of our plans to the Lord. There is not one of us who lives every day like our life is a mist that appears for just a little, a little time and then it says, there is not one of us who does not bend or twist our plans to fit our selfish desires. And so we, and so we talk about this stuff, stuff. But the truth is that if we are honest with ourselves for even half a second, we'll admit this is a crushing book without the cross of Jesus Christ. But Jesus Christ, the Son of God, his life is not a mist. Though he has always existed from eternity past, he planned humbly to step into his, his creation. He planned to live among us. He planned to die for us. And when it, when it seemed grave had sniffed out in his life, he planned to emerge victory over sin and Satan and death on behalf of half of his people. And here's the thing that you need to know about our, our Lord Jesus. Right? He, knew, he knew exactly what and exactly who his blood was purchasing on the cross. He planned to, to send his blood for you and for me. He planned to purchase you and me. And he has experienced no buyers. Right? He didn't receive that package in the mail, open it up, look at it, and say, you know what, I think I want this back after all. Jesus, he knew us. He planned to save us. He knew we would be arrogant planners. Yet he died anyway. May the cross of our Savior humble, humble us in our, in our plan. It compels us to use every second of the mist that has given us in this life for his glory. Pray with me. Jesus, Jesus, we pray you for what you accomplished with your life. You are the only, the only one who can say, say that your life is not, was not, and never shall be missed. You are worthy of all, all praise and honor and glory. And yet you, you set glory aside to, to plan to come among us, to live among us, and us, and to die for us. Jesus, we process this morning. The realities of the that you will willingly planned to pay for us. May the beauty of your cross, the beauty of your love for, for us, turn our hearts to you, to you, so that we would humbly plan in light of your glory, and so that we would humbly, humbly plan, use our lives for your glory. We praise things today in your name, Jesus. Amen.